The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff, talk Memphis, oh yeah. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money, where we talk about everything financial with a focus always of helping you make the most of your money. Today's program, Memphis is acclaimed to be one of America's most generous cities, yet at the same time, Memphis is also a city with high poverty rate. In the first half of the day's program, I have Dr. Larry Lloyd and Ramsey Clark of the Memphis Leadership Foundation here to share with us why Memphis has both titles and what is their vision for our great city. Markets appear to be in a correction phase, and obviously we have seen some strong volatility. In the second half of today's program, Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners is here to help us understand what what's actually going on. What's driving the stock prices Is it going forward? Is it technical fa- factors and sentiment, or is it economics? We're going to find out from Rusty in the second half of the program. From our Did You Know files, according to research uh, by Bloomberg Barclays, the total return of stocks with the and the total return of bonds have not been negative in the same year at the same time for the last 40 years. That's four, four zero years. Internal Revenue Service has put out a warning that if you have turned age seven and a half sometime in 2017, you must begin taking annual withdrawals. This is called that required minimum distribution from your IRA accounts no later than April the 1st of this year. If you delay and you don't do that, your first withdrawal, and if you delay until the 1st of April, you must also take a second distribution. That's double the taxes by December the 31st of this year. That's 2018. By the way, the Census Bureau has a new statistic. I think you'll find this to be interesting. As of the end of the year of 2017, there are more millennials. Finally, there's more millennials. 83 million in the United States, uh, more than the baby boomers at 75 million. Uh, and that's a lot. You know, you think about it. It's about time they finally, finally, we got somebody going to pay our Social Security. The millennials were born between 1981 and 1987, where the uh, they're 20 to 36 years old, while the baby boomers were all born between 1946 and 64. That's the age group, 53 to 71. Gallup Research, here's a statistic that I really find interesting, especially in what's going on in the market. They've stated recently that 46% of Americans have no money invested in the stock market, none, either through ownership of individual stocks, equity mutual funds, or through holdings inside of their 401k or their pre-tax retirement plan. 46% don't have anything in the market. And yet, boy, the market takes a gyration. Well, we're speaking to the 52%. Coming up, Dr. Larry Lloyd and Ramsey Clark with the Memphis Leadership Foundation. They're going to talk to us. What's great 
about our city. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Scott Jordan today. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest trail. When I grow up. I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back to Talk Money. As you know, once a month, we try to focus in on what's going on great in our city. And we're just blessed today to have two individuals that are making a huge impact and have been doing that for a long time. That's Dr. Larry Lloyd, President and CEO of Memphis Leadership Foundation, and Ramsey Clark, the Director of Development for the Memphis Leadership Foundation. Guys, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having us, Jim. You You know, Larry, let me ask you this question. You've been around, you've been in this city. This is your home city. This is your city where you've been for your life, except outside of going to graduate school. But what do you see? I mean, when you think about it, this is a philanthropic city. Absolutely. I mean, we're a giving city. We have a great reputation of doing that. But at the same time, as I said in the monologue, the whole reality is we also have uh, the record of being an enormous amount of poverty. How do you put these two together. Yeah, it's sort of a conundrum when you think about that, but we've been one of the most generous cities in the U.S. year after year. We always are tied with Salt Lake City or or so forth. Well, we're in the Bible Belt, so that explains a lot. Uh, Christian giving, people of faith are far more generous uh, than than the general public, so that explains a lot. We have 2,000 churches in Memphis, and so a lot of the giving is in churches. Uh, so while we're very generous uh, as people, we also have this issue of poverty, which is it, it's it's our number one problem in Memphis. But you also have to think, well, generationally, you know, you think of um, slavery, you think of Jim Crow, the yellow fever epidemic, the great flood. 
and our agricultural uh, base as opposed to manufacturing. So generational poverty can't be solved overnight. And we are talking about generational poverty. So when you think about generational poverty, you have years and decades and centuries to overcome some of the negatives. I think we're, we are making progress, no doubt about it, but we got a long way to go. So it's, you know, it's kind of like you're talking about, we're just moving, but it's steady movement. It's we're steady doing, movement, when you say pro, I think it's good to hear about progress from that standpoint, because I know you've been doing this a long time. Let me let me ask you this. When I, when I mention Memphis Leadership Foundation, I get a vision in my head of what I, what I see. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, describe the Memphis Leadership Foundation. Well, I started in 1987 with a board of directors, and the idea is we, we have three goals or three uh, things that we do. One is we we start new initiatives. So we've started Streets Ministry, Memphis Athletic Ministry. We seed funded Christ Community Health Services. We've actually started 40 different nonprofit entities uh, and programs in the inner city. That's our focus. So we initiate uh, new programs, usually in collaboration with churches or other nonprofit groups or business. Secondly, uh, we build the capacity of urban leaders. So we have a number of training programs and mentorships that we, uh, we target young leaders and try to transfer what we know to the next generation of urban leaders. And thirdly, we bring people of faith and goodwill together to address our issues. You and I did that in Life Focus 93, where we addressed the whole idea of racial reconciliation with people of faith, people of goodwill. Uh, and so we are a convener, if, if you will, of those folks. But So we're an umbrella organization. Some people call us an intermediary. Uh, but we have 15 programs under our umbrella, everything from refugee resettlement and, and ministry to uh, gang intervention. And then we do back office support for about 12 nonprofits so that we can avoid duplication of services and get economies of scale. I like the fact that you're providing sometimes ministries struggle with just all the all that operational things Absolutely. and it, it end up that just and they end up having to do that to some point, losing focus on what oh, actually yeah. where the rubber meets the road, where they're actually with the ministry. Yeah, so we, we've discovered this long ago, that, and we, and we now have beefed up our back office support in order to allow urban ministry leaders to focus on their purpose rather than on the detail of run, running a nonprofit's not easy. Running a business is not easy, True. but there's a whole set of, of red regulations that often get lost in the shuffle, and so we have become experts in helping nonprofits do their work while we provide all that supportive services. And I think that's the umbrella that Memphis Leadership Foundation has done extremely well. Let me you mentioned nineteen ninety three where we worked together when it was Life Focus ninety three mm-hmm. and where we, we spent an enormous amount of time, lots of people involved, and it was about reconcil- racial reconciliation. It was about bringing people of faith, bringing the, the city together. How's the how are we doing? Well I think we're I think we're miles ahead of where we were in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, when Dr. King was assassinated. Have we made progress? Absolutely. Do we still have progress to make? Absolutely. Economic and inequality is one of the things that is dragging us down. In fact, next weekend, February 16th and 17th, we, along with the Memphis Center for Urban Theological Studies, which we started in 2000, uh, are sponsoring the Urban Summit. Brian Fickert, with, uh, uh, who wrote a book called When Helping Hurts, Alan Barnhart of Barnhart Crane and Rigging, along with other speakers on Friday night at Claiborne Temple, will address this issue of economic inequality. And then on Saturday at Advanced Memphis, we will be having a pitch contest with minority startups in order to hear their pitch about starting new businesses. These, would be, uh, these, these are grassroots leaders that have an idea. They're entrepreneurs. 
and we're actually going to uh, hear their pitch, and we're going to have an opportunity to invest in their business. Now, that's this coming Saturday? That's uh, February 16th For and 16th. 17th. That's not this Saturday, it's next that's right. Saturday. That's so, so important. The org. if you're interested. We're almost sold out. So if you want to get a ticket, you, go to urbansummit.org. Urbansummit.org. You know, you mentioned 50 years ago, Dr. King uh, passed away, was killed here in Memphis in 50 years. We're about to celebrate that anniversary. What do you think Dr. King's dream was, and how do you see it being lived out today? Well, you know, as he came to Memphis for the sanitation strike, and, his, and a lot of folks didn't want him to come in his inner circle uh, because he was uh, formulating the Poor People's March or the Poor People's Campaign. And so to Dr. King, the sanitation strike in Memphis was a lightning rod for him because if we couldn't help sanitation workers get fair wages and benefits, then the Poor People's Campaign didn't make any difference. At least that was Dr. King's idea. So his idea is a beloved community. And it comes from the scriptures. Mm. It comes from the prophets Mm. that uh, the people of God, people of faith, would form a beloved community where every race, every culture, every tongue, tribe, and nation, Revelation chapter 7, also in the Old Testament, would come to the mountain of God and worship. So Dr. King's vision was this beloved community, and it's our vision as well. When you talk about that, do you you sometimes feel like that maybe we're pushing, like it's pushing a a rope uphill, that there's people with you and there's people against you. Oh, sure. But, uh, uh, you know, pushing the, uh, what, the rope up the hill, um, you know, you just keep at it. Uh, one of the things, uh, longevity has its place. I've yes. been at this for 43, 43 years, years yeah. and I'm not going to stop uh, because we see, we're seeing progress and we're not going to stop just because there's some naysayers or because it seems so uh, arduous. Uh, how do you wipe out poverty? How do you move the needle? We're, 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 we're going to keep at that because we are moving the needle. There's some wonderful, uh, wonderful ministries, wonderful programs, wonderful businesses in the Memphis community, wonderful foundations that are working together on this, the Hyde Foundation, the Assisi Foundation, the Poplar Foundation, Pyramid Peak, Community Foundation, Community Foundation for Greater Memphis, the Christian Community Foundation. We are all working together to move our city to a better place. And it, we're, we're, we're making progress. Making progress. That's a good thing. If you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9, talk radio for Memphis. But I just want to make sure you know who we're talking to. This is Dr. Larry Lloyd, President and CEO of Memphis Leadership Foundation, and Ramsey Clark, Director of Development, Memphis Leadership Foundation. Ramsey, let me ask you this. When you talk about being the development leader, the person that's in charge of developmental that's a, that can be a challenge within itself. Now, the fact that you're able to talk about a ministry that, uh, that's been here, as Dr. Lloyd just said, 40 years, I mean, that's a plus. But there's so much going on. I mean, just to explain it sometimes can be just a challenge. It is, it is Jim. You're right. Uh, but uh, the flip side of that, it's a privilege. Uh, I just to step back a little bit, uh, in 1968, I was a fifth grader at East. Uh, my best friend was an African-American student named Mike Jones. Uh, I was 11 years old. I, yeah, I didn't have the wherewithal to know how to fix it, but I recognized that uh, he's being treated differently by students and teachers alike. At 11 years old, 50 years ago, Uh, I made the decision that when I get old enough, uh, mature enough, I'm going to do my part 
to right the wrongs that I see my best friend experiencing. Uh, so at age 22, I started volunteering in the inner city and have done that for 40 years. So I'm two years behind Larry uh, in his investment in the inner city. But uh, all that to say, I am so passionate about what I do. I've experienced what a kid can derive from a coach, a volunteer, a mentor uh, that maybe he's missing at home. Uh, so when I go out in the business community, is it somewhat difficult, challenging to uh, describe an intermediary? Yes. But as Larry alluded to uh, before, I kind of back my way in. I say when people ask, well, I've heard of Memphis Leadership Foundation, don't really know uh, what you do. I'm confused with leadership, Memphis. Help me out. I, I say, well, you may have heard of some of the most significant ministries, nonprofits in the country, streets, MLF started. Mm. Uh, they're considered the standard, the model of youth ministry across the country. Christ Community Health Services, MLF started. Mm. They're the largest faith-based uh, 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 health clinic system in the country. So people, when they grasp that, yeah, yeah, I've heard of them, but I didn't know you all created them. It, it opens the conversation. Yeah, not only do we create them, we support them on the back end with back office support services. So um, is, there, is it a tiny bit difficult? Yes. Does my passion conquer that challenge? Heck yeah. Well, I think that's what's so unique about talking to both of you guys is that the passion's there. And Larry, I, I, I've known you a long time and I've observed what you do. And uh, your passion is with a capital P. Uh, you are here. God has called you into this. There's no question about that. And I think what's so unique about it is that there's a lot of things that you watch somebody do that they can get some credit or whatever for it. And sometimes people are doing it for that reason. You have done it and spun off. I learned this from Larry Burkett years and years ago. The reality was, as many ministries as Larry started, even though he had a ministry, his his way of looking at his success from the eyes of what he thought God had called him to do was how many things could we start as a result of having the platform. That's kind of what you've done. Yeah, it's. Uh, I learned from Ken Blanchard years ago this idea of servant leadership. You know, he's he's sort of been beating that drum for a long yes, time. Lead like Jesus. Of course, is one of the programs he started, and uh, you know, I, I often say Christianity belonged to the disciples, not Jesus. Had there not been disciples, it'd be the the church would not have existed as it does today. He gave himself away to twelve men, uh, and one of them even betrayed him, and four women. We find out in the book of Luke. So these sixteen or fifteen, then the two folks on the walk, walk to Emmaus, right? They are the ones that then started the church. And for 2,000 years, then, that Jesus has given himself away through his disciples. So the idea of servant leadership, it's not about me. It's not about MLF. It's about bringing glory to God, but it's also about loving our city. Uh, you know, there is a theology of geography in, in, the, in the Bible. There, there are 1,100 different cities mentioned, or 110 different cities and 1,100 passages. God loves cities. Uh, because that's where his people are. And so we are to uh, build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we look at the city of Memphis, we see it as a playground, not a battleground. 
We look at Zechariah chapter 8, where the, the, the folks, uh, children play in the streets, and old folks with cane in hand watch the children play. That was Zechariah's vision for the new Jerusalem. It's our vision for Memphis. When we come back, I'm going to find out a little bit how you, our listener, can get involved with Memphis Leadership Foundation. My guest, Dr. Larry Lloyd, President and CEO, Ramsey Clark, Director of Development. We're going to be talking about how you might get involved, whether it's financially or whether it's where you put on the boots and you become a soldier for this ministry and a soldier for the Lord. Stay with us. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Investors are buckling up for what could be another day of turbulence on Wall Street. The Dow dropped more than 500 points at the open Tuesday, then rebounded to close up 567. The Nasdaq gained 148 points. Some investors had issues making trades and checking their accounts on Fidelity. The company's website crashed for a while Tuesday morning. Fidelity fixed the problem, but there's no word on what caused the homepage to go down. Bitcoin suffered more losses. The cryptocurrency recovered from three-month lows below $6,000 in choppy trading Tuesday. Bitcoin is down nearly 50% so far this year, about 70% down from its peak of almost $20,000 in December. That's your CBS Money Watch report at the New York Stock Exchange. I'm Nikki Batiste. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter's technology finds qualified candidates for businesses of all sizes. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash CBS News. S&P 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general. Index performance returns do not reflect any management fees, transaction costs, or expenses. One cannot invest directly in an index. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. Coming up in the next second half of the program, we're going to be talking with Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners. He's going to be helping us understand what will drive the stock market in the future. Is it going to be technical factors or sentiment? Or maybe you might find out it might be something called an economic driver. We'll find out more from Rusty coming up in the second half of the program in just a few minutes. My guests today, Dr. Larry Lloyd, Ramsey Clark. These guys are with the Memphis Leadership Foundation, been around a long time uh, seniority with ministry. Larry, I guess my question for you, if if I just move to the city and, and I'm looking for a way to get involved in my city, this is going to be where I'm embracing, whether I'm an executive for so-and-so or I'm a student, whatever, how do I get connected and how would I get in touch with you guys? Well, our website is memphisleadershipfoundation.org. Uh, we have uh, 15 different programs, 12 nonprofits, we can we can engage people any way that uh, where their gifts and abilities lie, whether it's mentoring, financial counseling, hiring ex-offenders, uh, tutoring kids after school, helping refugees learn English. There are uh, uh, so many ways to get involved. And what we have learned over my 43 years of, of career in ministry is that programs don't change people. People change people. So the life on life is uh, not only changes uh, the trajectory of the individual in uh, that might be in need, but it changes the, the tra- trajectory of the person that's volunteering. Let me ask you this. So many people that I, you know, you, you know this, you know what I'm about to say from a standpoint. You got a lot of people that will say, well, 
I don't want to. I don't want to get too involved. You know, I mean, if you had, how do you talk to someone? I mean, when I say that, they're they're really concerned, but they don't want to get. I have a meeting coming up with Angel Street at lunch yeah, today, absolutely. and yeah. uh, Jill, and we're talking about how people get involved, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Jill. But the reality is, how how do you deal with that when a certain person says, "Well, I just don't know," and I don't want to say it this way. I don't want to get my hands dirty. But you know what I'm talking about. Well, do you want your life changed? Exactly. That's what I say. Exactly. Because my life was changed when I went to Rhodes College. And the reason I got, I was a pre-med major. I wanted to be a surgeon all my life. I go to Rhodes College, and I start an FCA chapter, all three of us, in the the 70s. And if you're an FCA chapter in those days, you had to have a community projects. So we started an after-school athletic program at Riverview Middle School. Because in 1970, as you recall, there was a white flight of schools, and so Memphis lost a lot of funding because funding for Memphis City Schools based on your enrollment. Right. As, as so they, they quit middle school athletics. So we started an after-school six-period athletic program for boys, uh, all three of us. And by the time I quit, or by the time I graduated from Rhodes, we had like 60 volunteers. That changed my life, involvement with those young people, and that's when I decided I wanted to do youth ministry. And so I started Young Life, uh, was on Young Life staff in Orange Mound at Melrose High School, and I decided not to go to medical school. Um, but it was, my life was changed because of my involvement in the lives of others. And so if you want your life changed for good, get involved. You can write a check. But we'd rather have the hand and the check. Yeah, that's a great point. If I wanted to write a check, Ramsey, let's talk about that. Because, I mean, you, this doesn't happen because people are just working hard. This happens because financially God puts it on people's heart to give. Talk about that for me for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can give, uh, your audience can give through the website. Uh, online giving is very prevalent. You'll find my contact information on the website. I am happy to come out and speak to individuals, to groups, uh, and and tell our story uh, in a little further uh, detail. Uh, But, you know, I used to uh, always point people back to your question about how do I get involved to the old Nike slogan that three words, just do it. The reality of it, people get paralyzed because they think, Will they like me? Will I like them? Uh, Will it be dangerous? Uh, uh, The reality is it's a short season. If you coach, it's a three-month season. If you volunteer to read to kids, it may be a a once-a-month opportunity. You're not signing your life away. And I just encourage people, just do it. Just try it. Uh, it it is life changing. Larry and I have both done it, and we can attest to that. Uh, that's a great point, Larry. the The ministry is making progress. You said, uh, "What's your vision?" The vision is to um, continue to do what we do to build playgrounds uh, out of battlegrounds to in, to uh, enlarge our uh, back office support so that ministry leaders in the trenches can continue to do what they do build the capacity of the next generation of urban leaders, and involve more and more of the business and Christian community in the lives of the inner city community. 
You know, I am so glad you guys were on the program. I want to have you back because there's just so many other things I could I would like to ask you about. We talked about at the beginning of the program the reality that Memphis is one of the most generous cities, and yet at the same time we have a high rate of poverty. I just think it's important that you guys are making progress. You said it. It's a faith-based. The Lord is prevalent, and I know in your life, and Larry, I've watched you, and I just think it's critical for people to know that our city is not idle. It's making things happen. Absolutely. All kinds of great things. There's so many. Uh, Memphis is blessed with probably some of the best nonprofit Christian ministries in the country. I've been to Chicago, New York, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. We have some soldiers on the ground doing great work. I remember Chuck Colson when he started Prison Fellowship. I was in a in a in Tom Dyers, who's one of my friends. Uh, he's one of the board members. Was one of the board members of Prison Fellowship. And I remember Chuck Colson when he started this thing. Said every city has a small platoon of godly leaders that are making a huge difference that needs support. And that's what we do. We find those platoons. Wow. Memphis Leadership Foundation. Dr. Larry Lloyd, Ramsey Clark. And uh, guys, thanks so much for being a part of today's program. Great. Thanks, Thank Jim. you. It's been great being here. Well, stay with us, because when we come back, right after Mr. Mid-South History Moment, we've got Rusty Leonard. He's going to tell us what is back in the market. It's called volatility. What does that mean? Stay with us. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. On April 27, 1865, the SS Sultana sank, causing the deaths of 1,547 people. With a death toll higher than the Titanic, this remains the largest maritime disaster in U.S. history. A combination of poorly done boiler repairs and excessive overcrowding caused the boilers to be overworked, resulting in a horrific explosion that was visible in Memphis over seven miles away. The explosion was so powerful that some of the survivors were found in the treetops along the shore. The remaining passengers had to brave the freezing waters of the Mississippi as the ship burned. It took over an hour for the first rescue ship to arrive, and many of them died of hypothermia. Most of those rescued later died of severe burns in Memphis hospitals. The story was not well featured in the press coming one day after President Lincoln's assassination. Although the Sultana was carrying Union soldiers, the people of Memphis showed their generosity by hosting benefits for the survivors and taking them into their homes. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Neither Security and Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Security and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I've been talking about Rusty Leonard coming on the program. He's a frequent guest of ours. He's the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. Let's just put it this way. Thank you, sir, for being on the program today. Welcome back, Rusty. Oh, well, thank you. As always, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, the reality is the market woke up and Shana said, here's some (laughs) things going on. I mean, last week was a roller coaster. So let me ask you this. Should investors panic? Uh, Well, they should never panic. Uh, They should always try not to panic. Let the other folks do the panicking. You try to take advantage of that. That's true. Uh, But even though the market has sold off quite a bit in the last week or so, it's uh, you know it's still at a very high level, folks. So from a longer term perspective, it may not be the most optimal time to be a buyer. But if you're truly a long term investor, and you shouldn't be investing if you're not, 
Um, you know, it's not, you can pretty much buy any time and figure you're going to have a decent return, give it five or 10 years down the road. But, you know, right now it's going to, I think the volatility is uh, here to stay for a little bit. We had uh, about a year and a half off from any kind of volatility. And so I imagine there'll be a reversion to the mean. We'll probably get too much volatility for a little while. Well, you know, one of the things that I need to make sure that we kind of talk about is the reality that that's volatility. It got started. It got a roller coaster going. Um, literally, can I, you know, the comments were made about computerized trading. And yeah. I know what that is, and I think it's important. If we, Can you define that just so that we get it off the table? What do we say today about computerized trading to the listeners? Well, there's there's certain uh, large groups of investors, institutional investors, who um, use models, computerized models, in which to do their trading, and they're highly complex. There's nothing uh, straightforward about those things, and uh, but they, what they, you know, they make their decisions uh, not necessarily based on emotion, but on certain signals they get from certain. Uh, variables that are in the marketplace, one of which most notably is the VIX, the VIX, which is uh, uh, a measure of stock market volatility. And as that rises, that causes these types of portfolios, sometimes called risk parity or CTAs, to uh, get more conservative. So if the volatility of the market is rising, those portfolios start selling stocks and buying bonds or raising cash. And that causes these wild swings in short periods of time, because we're talking about billions upon billions of hundreds of billions of dollars in some cases that are all of a sudden flooding into the market uh, just based on some, you know, indicator hitting a certain level. And it causes all you know gigantic trades to hit the market really, really quickly. And the liquidity isn't there. And so you have a volatility. You know, uh, let me ask you, Scott, Scott Jordan is with me, too. And, Scott, I'm, you know, welcome to the program, Scott. I didn't Great to be here, Jim. Great you to know, be here. Let me, let me ask you this, Scott. With Rusty saying that, I mean, this whole idea of computer, did you, over the last five or six days, did you get calls? Were people, as we talked about earlier, panicking? Was this, what was, what was the reaction on the street for clients for you? I don't know if panicking is the right word. Of course, we got calls, you know, with the media. They're going to jump on any chance to throw out a headline. That's Largest true. point drop ever. Right. Stocks. Markets plummeting, so of course we got calls. But you know, we we educate our clients. We're able to talk them through it and say, "Hey, this is just a temporary." I have downturn, to do so. this. I have to, Rusty. You'll love this. I had one client, and I know they're probably listening. They they <laughs> sent me a uh, an email, and their comment was, "Well, we've just jumped out the window because of the market." <laughs> and then, of course, the rest of the rest of the email said, "Well, of course, we're only on a one story floor, and you know, and so we're a little dirty, but we're okay. A little out of breath." I, I thought it was classic. You know? It does kind of give us that perspective from that standpoint. Well, let me ask you this. When you look at January's employment rate report came out, it was pretty positive. You look at earnings continue to be same, I mean, strong. Uh, there is some political confusion. That's going to go on. But, I mean, is that not telling us that the economy, basic the economy, is doing okay? It is, yeah. And, uh, you know, that can change, obviously. You've got to keep a close eye. But for the moment, there's no reason to believe that the economic uh, strength that we've been seeing uh, accelerating is all of a sudden going to go into a, a quick deceleration phase. And so what we really had was a problem with the market, not with the economy. The market was just overdone. It had gone kind of vertical here for a while. Uh, people had kind of lost their minds. And the market's going to correct that at some point in time, regardless of the economic and corporate earnings backdrop being still strong. It's just not going to tolerate such nonsense, which is what it kind of got into in the last month or so. And so it, uh, it's retraced that. And, uh, you know, whether or not we fall further, 
Uh, depends a lot on some of these computerized trading things and where they stand, where they got themselves corrected to where they want to be or if they have further to go. We don't really know that. Uh, but if they have kind of gotten themselves positioned the way they need to be positioned, uh, then it's probably going to go back to, well, gosh, earnings are pretty good. Uh, economy's doing great right around the world. I guess we've got to buy some more stock, and you'll see the stock market start to move higher again. Well, you know, yesterday we were up over 2%. So when for some people, that was the indication that we'd kind of, okay, that's it. But you know, I know that one day doesn't make a market trading uh, system. But but reality is, is, are we, is this just volatility as we expect to see in the market? Is that coming back yesterday an indication that maybe that's, uh, you know, we're done with this and going to move on to other things? Or is volatility as we know it back for several months, maybe even this year? I would, I'd probably uh, err on the side of caution and say that it's probably going to be back uh, this month and uh, certainly more so this year. We had a period of uh, basically an absence of volatility in 2017 and really going back a little bit further than that. There just was, but particularly in 2017, there was virtually no volatility. And so it lulls investors to sleep and uh, gets them to think that this is the way it's going to be. And that was completely abnormal. Uh, you know, you look back over a century and you don't find years like that where you had so little volatility. So my expectation is it reverts to the mean, which means it goes back to normal. And we have a normal level of volatility. And, it, you know, for a period of time, it might be an abnormal, abnormally high, just we've seen in the last week. But it'll all sort itself out and you know, life will go on and uh, things will be probably pretty normal. Well, let me ask you this, because I mentioned politics, you know, and I tell people all the time, keep your, you know, politics out of your investment. But President Trump's State of the Union address was somewhat of a calm, you know, note. He was pretty much kind of keeping things, uh, I was going to say calm, but uh, no new policies. Uh, He didn't go into that. Um, I think you kind of thought that maybe he was trying to make sure that everything stayed in some type of a calm note. And yet the market responds as it does. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, is he going to get blamed for this? I mean, uh, he shouldn't take credit for last year, maybe some of it, but not all of it. But should he take blame for what's the market's done recently? Some of it, not all of it. What's your thoughts? <laughs> well, he, he certainly uh, is going to take the blame whether he should or he shouldn't because uh, the press is uh, so much against uh, his policies and what he's trying to accomplish, which has been, as he enumerated in the State of the Union speech, pretty impressive. Uh, you know, for whatever we all may think of the man as an individual, his policies and how he's implemented them has been far more successful than I would have imagined in the first year. And uh, so that's a, a really, a really good thing. But the press is always going to be after him. Uh, but the stock market really doesn't care about what the press thinks. They care about corporate earnings and what, how much success he's actually having, is having in, the, uh, in his position as president. And he's having quite a bit of success on the economic front. And uh, that looks like it's going to continue. So my guess is that uh, while the stock market is still highly valued and uh, you know the volatility is coming back into the question, and there's always the chance that something comes out of the out of the woodwork and uh, you know surprises us and causes the stock market to go further further lower. Uh, if if that doesn't happen, if we're not surprised by anything else, uh, there's no reason to to not think that the market might get back on track and at least stop you know going crazy and settle down and you know give you a nice maybe not quite as big a return as you've uh, come to expect in recent years, but a decent return moving forward. So I think he's done a really good job from a policy perspective. I just wish he'd uh, you know, be a little bit more delicate with the way he talks, be more like how he talked in the State of the Union, which was very effective. Very effective. You're exactly right. Well, let me ask this. Interest rates, I mean, the bond yields uh, have gone up you know, really dramatically. Uh, interest rates going to keep rising, and what's that going to do to the economy? 
Well, that is the primary risk in my mind to the the economy and the stock market. Uh, so it's great that we've got tax cuts. The only problem is that that's going to increase the deficit. And furthermore, the quantitative easing is no longer happening. So the market has to finance the deficit, which could be as high as $700 billion in the, in this next year. And so with the market having to come up with that $700 billion to buy the bonds, the government's going to be selling to finance that deficit. That means interest rates are going to go higher. On top of that, with all the wage increases that we're seeing coming about as a result of uh President Trump's policies. It's initially a very good thing, but eventually it's going to lead to greater inflation or expectations of greater inflation, which also push interest rates higher. And higher interest rates, especially if they raise too rapidly, too quickly, unsettle the stock market as well as cause losses for bondholders. So that that's going to be one of the things that's going to uh, you know be something we have to keep a close eye on, and which could keep a, a limit on stocks going forward. So this, the tax cut was a great thing, but it does have some negative feedback that we're, the markets are going to have to deal with. All right, Jen and Yellen's retired. We have a new Fed chairman. What do you? What's your take? It's too early to, to have a take, really. Uh, you know, he he's clearly at the signaling at the outset that he's going to continue her gradual approach. But you know, uh, he may be overcome by events and may have to move faster than that. And what I thought was very fascinating was Janet Yellen, kind of as her last act uh, before leaving uh, her position as the uh, as losing her position because of Trump just made a note that, you know, stocks are looking pretty overvalued. That was the last thing she said, you know, like basically causing, you know, causing the uh, stock market to take it on the chin for a little while. And she was maybe partly responsible for the the selling that took place. And maybe that was her way of getting back at uh, Trump for not appointing him or reappointing him. But that's the key, right? Let me ask you this. If you just tuned in, my guest right now is Rusty Leonard. He is with Stewardship Partners Investment Council, uh, chairman and CEO and founder, actually. And uh, we have Rusty frequently on. He's talking about the volatility in the market. My last question for you, Rusty, I guess, my thoughts. Uh, you said that the stock market seems, I mean, Janet Yellen making saying overvalued. But reality is, I mean, stocks, you know, we could, we could argue that. I think both sides of that may be fairly valued. But I think going forward is, do you think sloppy? Is it going to, what, what do you see for the rest of the year is what I'm asking. Yeah, of course, you know, making prediction is a dangerous thing, but that's what we have to do in our game, right? Yep. So we know in advance that it's, uh, if you make the shorter the, the the prediction, sure, the time frame on the prediction, not more likely that it's going to be incorrect in one way or another. The longer out you go, the better chance you have of making a successful one. But for this year, which would be a short-term prediction, you know, I would say that we're going to have a more volatile environment. Uh, the interest rates are going to rise. That's going to cause some concern. We are starting from a point where uh, valuations on stocks, in terms as measured by price earnings multiples, are much higher than average, and that means they are susceptible to disappointments or concerns that might arise from time to time. So there's, you know, there's definitely reasons why this year might be a little bit uh, more difficult of a year than what we've seen in uh, most the most recent years. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a little bit of a sketchier year. Uh, I don't expect a collapse or anything like that, but I, I would wouldn't be surprised if we uh, if we have some kind of you know lower or not exciting type of result. I guess you know might maybe plus or minus uh, seven and eight percent or something like that. There, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that's where where we end at the end. Of the year. Reality is, 2017 was not a normal market. Maybe we're going to be back into 2018 with a normal market. I mean, is that what you're thinking? I mean, that's bottom yeah. line. Yeah, I think certainly in the volatility front, 
and even on the, on the return front. And, you know, there's going to be positives, definitely positives that we're going to have to uh, push the market higher. But I think there's going to be negatives, too, on the interest rate front. And the other thing that's looming on the horizon is the central banks in Europe and Japan are also coming to the point where they're going to stop their quantitative easing processes. But then if all the central banks all around the world have withdrawn from supporting the markets effectively, I think you'll see some negativity associated with that. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. We pulled you out of a couple of things going on today to get your insight. Rusty Leonard. Chairman and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest, gives us the you know kind of some insight of what's going on in the market. Helps you to stop from the being a panicky mode, but volatility's back. When we come back, Scott Jordan's going to tell you what should you be doing as the investor. What should we be thinking about? Rusty, thank you, sir. Have a great day. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest trail. I want to be a rocking chair on a sunny porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me. I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. This is CNET. Here are the stories that matter right now. Presented by TheraWorks Relief. Apple Music's U.S. subscriber count will overtake Spotify's later this year. Apple Music has a growth rate in the U.S. of 5% a month compared to Spotify's 2% a month rate. But when measured globally, Spotify outperforms Apple Music by a rate of more than 2 to 1. Apple is offering free repairs to iPhone 7 users that are experiencing inaccurate service readings on their devices. A small percentage of users are reporting their phones are displaying no service when in fact they have it. Apple says the issue stems from a faulty logic board. And finally, early Facebook and Google employees have come together to form a coalition called the Center for Humane Technology. The idea is to raise awareness about the consequences of overexposure to the internet and social media, and the group will work with Common Sense Media to help get the word out. To prevent and relieve muscle cramps in your legs and feet, use TheraWorks Relief. Get TheraWorks Relief today at select CVS and Rite Aid pharmacies or theraworksrelief.com. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we've been talking with Rusty Leonard, who has given us some insight. The fact that volatility is back. Uh, wow. I mean, that means last week we saw the market drop. I mean, we heard the record. I mean, it's just the largest point drop in the history of the market. And yet it was just not quite uh, as thrilling and exciting as most people wanted to make it. Scott Jordan's with me now, certified financial planner at Shoemaker Financial. Scott, one of the biggest issues, I think, is the media. As you mentioned earlier, the media can sometimes just take this and run with it and make it big. And I don't blame them because, face it, they're looking at eyeballs. They're looking at that. I mean, that's all the reality is to pull that in. And I'm thinking if you're watching the market, as we talked about a couple of times, that 
uh, you know, the guy calls and said, hey, uh, sends me an email, said, I've jumped out the window. You know, <laughs> I, I really, and it was so perfect because, I mean, I know this person real well. And, he, you know, he has that dry sense of humor and it's perfect. But reality is, what do you say today as you go through this? One of the biggest problems that so many people is they get caught up in what the media is saying. What do you say to the client? Well, you know, number one is to, you know, control your emotions. We say it all the time. Emotions are the enemy of any any good investment strategy. So not to get caught up. You said the key word of the day is kind of volatility. Volatility is back, but it's really not that abnormal what we're seeing right now. This is not that abnormal for volatility to be in the market like that. So keeping those emotions in check, staying with the long-term plan. Uh, you know, we saw it after 08, kind of fear took over and people were overly conservative. And then... You know, years like 17, you start to see the other side of that pendulum. That greed kicks in, and, and we saw people kind of going the other way, right, like wanting to take on more risk. So it's knowing what your tolerance for risk is, keeping those emotions in check, and staying with the plan. I know I've heard you say before, you talk about knowing your time horizon. Yes. Uh, that's part of just any basic fundamental investment plan. That's critical. Explain that. Well, stocks are, are a long-term investment, right? We can't predict what's going to happen over the short term. Any any given year, any given quarter, we're going to see volatility like we saw on Monday. Not that abnormal, but it's knowing that we have a time horizon. We don't need this money right now. In order to reach that goal, the you know, to hit that rate of return, we need we need to have some money in the stock market and participate in that volatility. By the way, that volatility is what allows us to get that rate of return. If it weren't there, it wouldn't pay as much, right? It's always a risk-return correlation. That's part of risk-return. When you talk about, would somebody at this point change their portfolio, or should they, you know, a lot of people, all of a sudden they're at the party, you know, they're at the Super Bowl party or or something, and somebody say, well, hey, my my portfolio looks like this. I mean, it's kind of that following uh, the group mentality. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we say it all the time. If if the plan hasn't changed and the goals hadn't changed, then the asset allocation or the investment strategy shouldn't change. Now, we have managers that make little tactical shifts here and there, but not inside, not the, portfolio. inside the portfolio. But, you know, we develop a plan. The whole thing, stick with it. Don't get caught up in following the herd or, you know, you're playing golf with your buddy and his portfolio <laughs> did 30% last year and yours did 10. You're what's wrong with mine? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. We were talking when he said, you know, we may get seven to eight percent returns this year. And now all of a sudden, that sounds awful. Uh, I'll take that every year. You yeah. know, <laughs> year after year, seven to eight percent is a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Let me. Uh, when you talk about the idea behind the market and the emotions, you talked about that. Don't get caught up in what somebody else is doing. We just have a few minutes left. Tell, just give me some insight into how would you counsel someone? I mean, we talk about. Allocation, we talk about rebalancing. Help us understand what do you mean? Well, first of all, going back to that risk tolerance, right? It's knowing what somebody can tolerate. We understand the volatility is going to be in the market. And in order to ensure that your investments are going to remain investments, first thing we need to know is is what is your tolerance for that risk? Because last thing we need is for something like Monday to happen and you panic and get out 
of the market at the exact wrong time. So we need to know that up front, and then we're going to develop an asset allocation—excuse me, an asset allocation strategy that's going to have a high probability of giving us that rate of return we need to hit the goals. Again, we're always designing our investments around what we're trying to accomplish. So long term, long term, absolutely. You always say this, you know, don't make it so complicated. What right. do you mean? I mean, I've heard Keep you say simple. that multiple times. You just said we say this all the time: asset allocation diversification and rebalance there's a lot of fancy tools that are there more coming to market each day we saw some some that got dinged a little bit in this latest volatility but there's no there's no reason to overcomplicate that keep it simple get the proper asset allocation based on your time horizon and risk tolerance we're going to diversify we don't know who the winners and losers are going to be from year to year we want to participate in all of them so we're going to have great diversification and then we're going to rebalance. And basically what that means is we're going to sell some of the winners, buy some of the losers, and bring that model back down to our risk tolerance, the allocation that we determined from the beginning that we need to hit. You know, I guess you're talking about the rebalancing is so critical. Very critical. I mean, you Very just critical. you got to stay with that. So, so managing a portfolio during volatility like this, like we've just experienced, not like 2017, which was mm-hmm. almost non-existent. Right. And I think Rusty said it lulled us to sleep to some yep. degree. What you're saying here is just pay attention, but have a plan. Have I mean, a plan. Have know a, know, your know plan. what you're doing. Plan for the volatility. We know what's coming. Plan for it and know what we're going to do ahead of time when we reach that volatility, which is stay with the plan 90% of the time or more. But knowing knowing what you're going to do ahead of time helps you not become an emotional investor and overreact, make knee-jerk reactions to media stories. You hit it right on the head. Don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up in what the media is telling you. Keep your emotions out of it. Don't get greedy or don't get so fearful that you do nothing. You sell out of the market from that standpoint. Allocate. You talked about that. Know what diversification means. Rebalance. Those are principles. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. That's For some people, that's difficult. Very difficult. Well, you've been listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guests have been Scott Jordan. He's been talking to us about some things to do when you see a volatile market. That's what it's all about. Thanks for being a part of today's program. Of course, we're here every week. We're here to help you make the most of your money. We're here to keep you knowing about what's going on in the market and how to approach it. I thank you for being a part of today's program. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brashear and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. The Mid-South Station with the most local talk and CBS News at the top of every hour. KWAM Memphis.